You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Brand new week and it's public holiday here in the UK. It's the August Bank holiday, Monday, August the 28th. But you know nothing stops in this game. And we can reflect on all the delights of York last week, which we will be doing through the next 45 minutes or so. And look ahead to what's coming up. Uh, No finer place for Jane Mangan to be this morning, RTE and uh, Racing TV broadcaster, than at Bally Doyle, Jane. Um, no rest for Aidan O'Brien either. It goes without saying. No, that that man doesn't sleep, and that uh, outfit never stops. They're fresh from Grade One success in America at the weekend, and of course um, at York as well. We we had a, a HRI hosted uh, press morning this morning for Irish Champions Festival. That's uh, the next port of call. We're very much into the autumn now, and those big autumn targets are on the horizon, and we're getting news about what might turn up at Leopardstown and the Curra, and reflecting on. What happened at York and beyond? The good news for all of you is that Jane has been working hard on your behalf. And this is where she began with Aidan O'Brien with reflections on the performance of Paddington in defeat in the Judmont International last week when he finished third behind Mostadaf. Paddington came out very well, the same as he does every race. Um, uh, Obviously, he's had a very busy time and uh, we never... Uh, pulled back with him in any way and he, like he's only a baby three year old really so we really did put it up to him um, obviously everyone was trying different ways to beat him he was happy to make the run and he was happy to get a lead and I think we were a little bit surprised that uh, Frankie went and went as hard as he did um, I suppose he, he was a Frankel horse that got a mile and a half well and it was the right thing he, he did um, We uh, Ryan thought that he might take a little sit in the middle of the race and he didn't and I suppose um, that lengths he got early were very hard to get back um, but Ryan was very happy with him like he ran his heart out all the way to the line and obviously the line just came maybe a little bit too quick for him and, and it, it might have extended him as far as he wanted to go it was a mile two and a half I think so um, probably at heart he, he could be a miler um, but because he's probably just such a high class miler that he was getting a mile and a quarter which is very possible um, so he'll have a break now we freshen him up and he won't know himself come ask a time again like obviously um, for him to have five, six, eight weeks between a run, like he, like he might turn into a totally different beast the next day, you know. So, um, we're looking forward to it, Jane. Um, Adrian McGuire's riding him here. Uh, Everybody it, in the jumping world will remember Adrian, yeah. but he, he's a strong horse. You thinking yeah. QE2? Oh, or? oh, yeah, we're thinking maybe the QE2 or the mile and a quarter, the champion. The lads will decide that themselves. But, like, like, what, like imagine having someone like Adrian yeah. able to ride him out every day and, like, come, right, Adrian rides him all the time um, in all his canters. And, like, he's, he's, he's not a wimp, he's a hardy customer. Um, which is what makes him what he is, you know. He but take like, the runs. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But he does an incredible job with him, really. Um, Andrew's in charge of him. Um, yeah, and uh, Seamus rides him in his work. Adrian rides him every other day. And uh, no, um, Michael leads him up. But he's an incredible horse, really. Yeah, and the Phillies saved the last dance, went down fighting, but Warm Heart got her day. She did, uh, yeah. Like, uh, save the last dance is unusual, Philly, that she handles all types of grounds, but she is better on soft ground. She handles it better than most. Um, she comes off a of fast ground the very same, but she doesn't have the same kick on it. She's more dour and relentless on that, where on soft ground she's able to kick. Um, so she's an incredible filly too. Um, 
we thought when Warmheart won in Ascot that it was a slowly run mile and a half and Ryan controlled it and dictated it and got away from them but York wasn't it was a strong run mile and a half Ryan made it 12s all the way which is very strong for a mile and a half and uh, um, James gave her a lovely ride he sat her close to the pace produced her and he, he felt himself maybe he went a little bit too early on her and then he, he, he went and then he waited a little bit and then went again um, I suppose he was watching what it was on his inside too but he gave her a peach um, and going to the line like she didn't surrender so uh, she's, she's a very high class filly obviously handles fast ground very well and now we know gets a mile and a half as well and where yeah. will we be thinking the two of them could turn yeah, up I, I, I suppose save the last dance the lads have to decide what they want to do if she goes to the ledger she probably missed the arc because it's two weeks but there's a chance that continues might go to the ledger and she might go straight to the arc um, which could be exciting uh, like obviously in the arc it can be soft or can get very soft so that would be exciting to see what would happen and uh, then um, warm heart probably a nice bit of ground where would you go like you could have a look at arc weekend if the ground was nice and if not sidestep that and go on to America with her yeah. I'd say she looks like a filly's going to be made for America for the fillies and mares so looking ahead to Leopardstown obviously the big two for the the champion stakes would be uh, August and Luxembourg. Yeah, very happy with both. Luxembourg uh, had come out of uh, Ascot very well and he's in a real good place. August is in, is in great order. Um, we, we think he, that run is, was just a, an off day for a lot of different reasons. Um, we're very happy with him. His work is very good. Uh, the two of them are on that programme and uh, looking forward to seeing him again, really. Could both of them run? It possibly could. It'll be depending on what the lads will decide, but it is possible that both could run. Um, but they'll just, the lads will decide that close to the time. But both of them are on that programme at the moment. Hopefully um, that all the horses from around will come and, and uh, it could be a very exciting race. And the Coolmore sponsored Matron Stakes. I see Meditate on the string looking good. Yes, she's had a good break and she's 20 kilos heavier now than she was. So there's a chance that she was a little bit weak and it all happened a little bit early for her. So there's a chance that she's going to come back. Um, very happy with her. Uh, she's laid back in her work. She, she's working in a pair of blinkers at the moment because she's very lazy. And there's a chance that she could run in them, but uh, not decided yet. But we're very happy with everything she's doing at the moment. And... Uh I couldn't help but recognise Kiprios. God, he looks good. Yeah, he, he's in great order. Uh, he was at the Cora two weeks ago. Um, like Obviously, we're turning the screw every week now to get him fitter and fitter, and we just have to be a little bit careful with him, just not to set him back. But we're very happy where he is. Uh, he could run in the ledger, but really being realistic, whether he'll be fit enough to win, I couldn't be sure. And you'd probably say couldn't be, but if he got a nice run and we got back on the on the road again he could go from there to Ark weekend to something or something like that that's what we're thinking um, you can't beat match practice uh, you can gallop them away too much and we just don't want to turn the screw too much and kind of hopefully let uh, when we get him racing let him come back hopefully that day but we're very happy with his movement and uh, everything about him his weight is good uh, he's not too much above what he was last year but we just don't want to uh, rush him too much but who will be raced it will be Emily Dickinson yes Emily's in great order she loves soft ground uh, if the ground is soft she grows another leg in it she's, she's uh, very straightforward uh, all she wants is plenty of pace in front of her um, um, she's a very hardy filly and, and obviously you think should have a big shot in it big shot in the Irish champ or the Irish St. Ledger your two year olds this year I don't know if you've ever had such a, a team of two year olds we can't list them all but City of Troy yeah very happy he, he goes to the, uh, the national stakes at the moment that was the plan um, he's doing everything really right Dean rides him out and rides him in all his work um, so Seamus and John everyone's in charge of him um, Alex Finn Barstamita, everyone is, is very happy with him. Um, yeah, looking forward to him. Uh, that was the plan. Uh, he had a nice break from 
uh, new markets now and um, yeah he's going to be exciting to see and the filly uh, Yilang Yilang yeah she's had a, a little rest we could have went to the Cora again and we decided not to leave her alone and train her for the Myglar she, she's very well uh, Dean rides her as well he rides in her canters and her work um, yeah she, she's really well looking forward to the Myglar with her many many two year olds I won't list them all I must mention well done at Balshay Ballet at the weekend in, in, in America it's almost overlooked because we had York on and there, there was a lot happening here but he was yeah, impressive yeah incredible horse really after all the time he's five now and looks like could have been one of his best runs uh, he's moving brilliant um, the lads are delighted with him since the run Johnny Velasquez rode him couldn't believe him uh, he's a big powerful clean winded good moving horse so um, uh, he ran in Ascot the last day ran a very good race and, and he was sent very forward which mightn't have been Mightn't have given him a chance if you know what I mean. So, uh, he's um, he's a very uh, legit legitimate horse now. Um, he might go back to America again in five weeks, and uh, he might end up in the Breeders' Cup turf again or something like that. And I hear a mention of Melbourne Cup murmuring around with Tower of London. Are you going to go travelling? Yeah, he, he's very well at the moment. Uh, he, he's in at a, a, a weight that he could get in, but he's not definite. And we just have to decide whether we run him again or not, and risk him getting another five or ten pounds rather than three pounds. Like we would love to run him and get. Three pounds somewhere and then he would get in at the bottom you're, you're sure but we just have to be careful with him he, he could run into Kiltern and he could run in the Irish or he could run into English ledger um, so but he's in good shape and he's nearly ready to go again Speaking of good shape how is Wayne Lorden? Good uh, he's great he was up last week and uh, he had all his, his brain scans and his bone scans done and everything is going great um, he's in rehab now obviously but he's coming along great and uh, um, looking forward to having him back for next year but everything is going great and uh, um, we spoke to himself and Kerry on the other day and very happy I think he's actually coming in here Wednesday so uh, no everything going great thank God he's coming in to keep an eye on you exactly, exactly. S- see what's here for him next year absolutely absolutely. thanks very much Aidan pleasure Jane thank you alright Aidan O'Brien there with Jane a little earlier on this morning uh, Jane you covered a lot of ground in a, a, a fairly short space of time there I to be honest had not even seen that Bolshoi Ballet had won in New York so much has been going on but that's exciting for that team you got the Tower of London news <laughs> read the Melbourne Cup and of course reflections on on Paddington plus a look ahead to Irish Champions Weekend the single most striking part of that interview for you was what maybe it was the I, I was so impressed by what I saw from Kiprios uh, obviously we've been hearing how serious his injury was and I didn't really know what to expect when I saw him on the string but he looks great look he he said it himself Aiden he's carrying a bit of condition and he's probably going to need the run in the Irish St. Ledger but I get the vibe that it's amazing that he's back at all and definitely back with a view to next year so him pro- possibly turning up with Emily Dickinson in the Irish St. Ledger um, he mentioned the two-year-olds in Paddington um, Paddington looks great after after his defeat at York I'm not surprised that he's going to maybe wait till Ascot with him uh, August Rodan, Rachel Richardson you guys in the UK will remember her riding many winners as an apprentice over there, she is devoted to this horse here. And he and Luxembourg could both turn up in the Irish Champions League. So that'd be quite the prospect. I still think Luxembourg is, given his preparation into the race last year, I still think he's a really good horse. And I wouldn't uh, be writing him off at all. But there was there was just so much ground to cover. I'm so, my, my brain is almost mushed from trying to take it all in. But it was a real treat. The, the, the whole team there was so welcoming and we got to see so many horses and I, I would I, I almost wanted to broker the question but I I, I, I I stopped myself from asking him is this the most exciting bunch of juveniles you've had for a very long time but of course there's so many bridges to cross with those two-year-olds yet 
But I would venture to say that it's been a long, long time since there has been so many collectively of such different profiles and such diverse range of, of, of distances that could be literally world beaters. Um, did you did you have any thoughts yourself on which horses ought to be turning up in the Irish Champion Stakes to take on August Rodin? Um, uh, outside of Ballydoyle. Outside of Ballydoyle. Um, well, I was I was obviously hoping Mustadaf might go there. Um, but I know Fabrice Chappé is is thinking coming back with Onesto, who went down in defeat last year. He'd be a serious. Uh, horse after the way he ran over I thought an insufficient insufficient trip in the Marwa last time I think he'd be the one that'd be most dangerous but uh, the field is just taking shape now and am I missing out on any obvious ones off the top of my head well I think Nashua might head there but I wanted to find out whether Mostadaf would and so I asked Angus Gold racing manager to Sheikh Ahissa and to Shadwell this is what he had to say uh, Nick I think unlikely at this stage um I saw John was quoted saying that uh, the day after the judgment. But uh, when I talked to him, he said, no, I'm on reflection, you know, it comes relatively soon. The horse had a hard race the other day. Obviously, to do what he did, he had a hard race and gave it his all. Um, so I would say the only options for him really would be the champion stakes if we happened to get a dry autumn and it was dry and the unlikely event for Daskett was still good ground or faster, uh, otherwise probably the Breeders' Cup. But at this stage, the plan was always to supplement Al Flayla for the Irish champion, and that's still the case as long as all is well with him. You mentioned the Breeders' Cup for Mostadaf. Uh, the internationals are winning you're in for the for the classic. Is that being entertained as well as the turf? Was it even a possibility? I know you're longing for him to run on the dirt. A lot of you guys, uh, and I can quite see why, but I would say at this stage, look, he's won a mile and a half here before. I would think uh, the, 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 the turf will be the obvious race mm. for him at this stage. We haven't really sat down to discuss it, which I guess I haven't even I haven't discussed it at all. About. Um, but uh, I'm sure, John, that you know we would be looking to give him the best possible chance of winning, and the best possible chance would be on the grass. I would think at this stage. Yeah, funnily enough, I, I've 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 learnt from years gone by that it's silly trying to you know force everybody with a decent turf horse to try and run them on the dirt the only reason it crossed my mind really was because i remember after the the route in in saudi arabia in the neon um sort of chatting and people sort of saying well maybe this might just be the horse to come back for a saudi cup next year admittedly on a slightly different dirt surface i wondered if that was sort of if that was half rolling around in in shaker hissa's mind well, obviously, I can't speak for her. Um, as I say, we, we haven't yet had this conversation. I, uh, you know, look, apart from anything else, he's a very valuable horse now to us. Yeah. Um, the, the fantastic thing about last week was to prove to everybody that Ascot was no fluke. Um, he won impressively at Ascot. Well, he won impressively in Saudi, as you say. Then he won impressively in the Prince of Wales. And we just wanted to see him do it again. Uh, on the big stage here, um, and he did, and, and claimed a couple of big scalps, if you like. Um, so, you know, he's he's a valuable stand-in prospect for us now. So, obviously, we want to keep him, give him the best possible chance of continuing his winning streak, and I would suggest at the moment that's more on the grass than on the dirt. 
Right, no Mostadaf, it seems, for Irish Champions Weekend, Jane Mangan. And it seems that there's no real intention to run him on the dirt either. That Breeders' Cup Classic looks looks a million on the back of that interview, though the Breeders' Cup turf a possibility. Champion stakes if the ground stays good or faster. But o- October the 21st, decent ground at Ascot? I don't think so. Ooh, it's a long shot, isn't it? It's a long shot. It's disappointing. For Irish fans, he's not coming across, albeit not altogether surprising. Um... And I, I get the feeling that Bally Doyle would have loved to have another crack at him. But um, it's look, he's after putting up a magic performance at York and I don't want to dampen that at all. But, you know, when, when you when you are that good and you're a five year old and you have basically you're in the form of your life. So I'd imagine if he's if he's thinking quick ground and they obviously want quick ground for him, he's probably going to end up going maybe to Dubai or Saudi in the new year to pick up some some valuable purses over there. So. Let's see where he turns up. But if he's not going to the dirt, then I'd say the, the Breeders' Cup turf is at his mercy. And in all honesty, Jane, given events at Saratoga in the last few weeks, given events at Churchill Downs earlier in the year, it's not a surprise that people might not want to run their best turf horse and stallion prospect on a dirt surface at the moment. We have reached a critical point just in the last few weeks on Whitney Day, which is one of the marquee days at Saratoga in the summer, all eyes on. We had Maple Leaf Mel about to win a grade one race. Yards from the post, fatally injured. This last weekend, we had New York Thunder in the colours of Ammo Racing USA for, for Jorge Delgado. Five lengths clear in a grade one race when suffering a catastrophic fatal injury in front of the biggest crowd of the most prestigious meet in American racing. Add that to the number of horses that we've lost this year and the number of horses that were lost during the Kentucky Derby meet. Again, a huge shot window for the sport at Churchill Downs, who then had to move to Ellis. At what point do we say we can't be running these horses on these surfaces anymore? It's. I think it's, it's, a, it's a steep downward spiral of terrible woe okay and everybody knows this this has been coming and it's been building and because in america from the outside looking in you don't have an umbrella governance structure you don't have an umbrella uh regulator over the racetracks it's kind of down to the horsemen and women to take a stand and i i i i i i know everybody over there are obviously doing their best but this isn't this is so damaging for the sport and the industry as an, as a whole over there and not that anybody's sitting on their hands or standing by watching it happen but there blatantly needs to be a drastic change uh what that change is i'm sitting here in ireland i can't tell you what that is but on the ground there needs to be a seismic shift, whether it's the trainers getting together to say they're not happy with the surface or the training or there, there's just there. There must be a correlation between it all because, Nick, these aren't coincidences. It's happening forever too frequently. Not that it's happening on the biggest stage, that it's happening at all. Well, there must be something done. When there was a, 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 a really serious spate of fatalities at Santa Anita in 2019 and people seriously feared for the future of that track in Californian racing. I mean, they still do up to a, up to a point, uh, but it was a, at a critical point. Then so many measures came in, which were widely criticized, but they have had the effect of radically reducing catastrophic injury at that track and in that jurisdiction. And 
all tracks have to adopt similar measures. That seems to me to be quite quite straightforward in terms of track maintenance, in terms of veterinary checks, in terms of medication policy. Not to mention the, the way the race programs are put together, monitoring of training regimens, training tracks. And I speak as someone who robustly has defended uh, how exciting a spectacle dirt racing can be when it's run at its best and at the top level. But when you look at what's happened over the last few months on some of the most high-profile stages, you think, well, if this carries on, we are in the gravest, gravest of situations and something radical is going to have to is going to have to happen. And Mark Cassie's done an interview with Sue Finley in the Thoroughbred Daily News today, expressing many of those exact concerns. I didn't see it live, but I saw the reaction online. And unfortunately, we're at a stage now where high profile people outside of our sport, people who are, you know, we, we used to be known as the Sport of Kings. We know we're not the Sport of Kings, but when when you had rock stars turning up to the races they're almost now at a stage in their lives where they would they, where they don't want to be seen or associated with the sport and that is that is a shame it, it, it's just i'm disgusted by that but i can see their point of view which again in turn makes me disappointed and you know I, I, do i blame them no There is no doubt that the story that warmed the heart the most at uh, York last week was the victory of Living the Dream in the Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes, earning the horse a ticket to the Breeders' Cup turf sprint and giving Adam West, the trainer, Sean Kiran, the rider, and owners Stephen Jolene DeLimos by far their biggest day. And the sheer joy that spread around the winner's enclosure was still being talked about as we were all driving home on on Saturday evening, and is now, I'm sure, if you happen to be in the Delimos household. Steve and Jolene join me now. Steve, where have you taken yourself off to to try and kind of come down from the ridiculous adrenaline buzz of Friday afternoon? Morning, Nick. Um, We are in Devon. We were due to be away anyway, and um, it's quite... It's, we're in the middle of nowhere, actually, so the signal's not very good. And uh, but people are still managing to uh, send us hundreds of congratulation messages and everything. Um, it's all still sinking, still sinking in. I mean, when you when you went to York on on Friday, you knew you had a fast horse. You knew you had a nice horse. Did you think you belonged in the Nunthorpe? You, you believe, don't you? You dream um, that we'd run well. Um, you, you know, <laughs> when you saw what happened to one of ours in the dash, um, it, things can go against you. And it, when Sean came into the parade ring, I just grabbed hold of him and I just, you know, obviously it's all about first group one. I just looked to him straight in the eyes and said, Sean, listen, good luck today. Enjoy. Um and let's just have a race of no regrets. Let's, let's just bounce him out. Get him, get, let him go, and um, let's see what what he does. And we knew the cavalry would come at him at the end. Um, but uh, I thought Sean's sectionals were absolutely amazing. You know, and all credit to Adam to get him in the, in such a um, good place. Um, the Deauville race, everything went against us there um 
but it was just a prep run in many cases. But it, the problem is when you've got a horse rated where he is, there's so few races for him. Um, so the 40 mile an hour headwind and the terrible ground we got in Deauville, um, you know, he came out of it really well. Uh, just the scenes afterwards were just wonderful. Re- Adam West sort of went from trying to, to sound sensible to sort of uh, almost delirious to not quite <laughs> believing it again to finally accepting that he might have done something quite quite historic. Tell me a little bit about how, how you and Jolene started your journey and how, how you landed up with, with Adam and, and this horse. Where did, it, where did it all stem from? I grew up two minutes from Epsom Downs race course went to local schools and just loved what going up to the downs and watching the horse racing and uh, um, as time goes on there was some there was some guys in the local village at Banstead um, who who owned horses and inspired me or you know that this could be done and I got involved in a um, in a couple of small syndicates with Josh Gifford I don't know, 20 years ago or something, we had amazing fun. There was 10 of us. The first one, just Jolene and I, was Tap Tap Boom with George Baker, and we had fabulous fun with him. And George took us over to Song Clue, actually, in the, in the, um, when he was a four-year-old, and we ran in sales races over there. He came fifth, first, first, and we sold it. I met Adam at, at, at a do at Banstead Cricket Club, and... Um, we got on well and he said he was a horse trainer and I'm thinking, well, I've not heard of you. And um, went down to see him at um, 30 Acre Barn, I think it was. Uh, 30 Acre Barn. Uh, yeah. Um, very small operation. And we got involved in a sharing a horse there called Emerald Cross, which again, we had fun with. We went to um, Dundalk with him and up to Newcastle. I mean, I remember he got beaten a short head by a Roger Varian horse. Newcastle, which um, uh, 25 to 1 or something like that would have been quite a nice touch for us. Um, and then then we went from there and got this lovely little horse called Ginger and Tonic. And he was the one really for us who set everything going, uh, the wheels in motion for us and Adam. Um, he won at Lingfield at 40 to 1 and um, actually might have returned at 28, funny enough, same as uh, Living the Dream the other day. But um, we had quite a good bet on him and the money we won from that, we went and um, reinvested in Living the Moment, who then during lockdown won five out of five and we did a game. We took the prize money and the wins from from that. And then lo and behold, you find his half-brothers up for sale and you can't resist it. Um, a lovely lady called Philippa Maines um, went to the, was at the sales for us and bidding away and I think we're getting the right and have one more go and all of a sudden she come back on the phone she went to Steve, Jolene, congratulations, you just got yourself a lovely little horse and he is, he's, he's tiny, uh, uh, you know, he's, um, he's, you know, I think a lot of people find him um, very um, unassuming, I don't know what you guys think when he's walking around the paddock, um, but uh, he's very small but he's just incredibly quick it's all natural ability his gait speed is just astonishing we're all going to take him a lot more seriously now I think Jolene's there Jolene that reaction afterwards you you gave Sean Kiran a good smacker there 
what were you what was kind of going through your head when 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 you were just enjoying those those moments after the race it was just pure emotion it was just how else do you celebrate give him a big kiss (laughs) we've known sean for a while and it was just a case of wow i don't know this is just amazing (laughs) it's just just pure emotion really jolene uh, Steve's shoes. Can we talk about Steve's shoes? The 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 Louboutins from Vegas. I mean, they are they are utterly spectacular. Um, I presume he now, is he going to have to wear them everywhere the horse runs. Well, I suppose it's a must now with that win. <laughs> or he needs to find bigger and better ones. <laughs> I'm not sure you can find b- b- better ones. Um, is, has, has he always had a shoe fetish? No, it started probably back in 2019 when we went to Vegas um, he found his first fancy pair there and he just keeps adding to them I mean they are they are good if you like your shoes they are they are good um, Steve they were they were they were one of the stars of the show the other one you were very keen and you mentioned your your son Reese earlier on um, who has autism uh, is a, a, a massive part of this as well and gets gets a huge amount of pleasure out of it I love the picture you showed me after the race. <laughs> yeah, that was um, yeah. As I said to everybody, it was uh, it was a nervous night, um, the eve of the race, should I say? And um, he was just getting ready to go to bed, and and um, he he got these little sunglasses, and they just looked like the ones Aidan O'Prime wears, and he popped them on, and he walked into his sister. And uh, she looked at him and she went, Reese, you look like Aidan O'Brien in there. <laughs> then all of a sudden he was walking, walking around the house going, look at me, I look like AP O'Brien. <laughs> and it was just, um, it was a lovely little moment and, um, you know, very, one will we'll cherish that memory. And I grabbed her, I, I got my phone out and took a little photo of him and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll savour that moment. He's got a very good sense of humor and he's he's a good kid all right Stephen jolene de limos well that was one of the stories of the week no doubt jane uh the the performance of of living the dream not that many people saw it coming easy enough in in hindsight i guess i don't know how strong the race was as a whole i i can't make my mind up whether i thought highfield princess ran the same race as she did last year i suspect possibly not but this is a blindingly fast horse living the dream and He's he's not going to be a forlorn hope at Santa Anita, I don't think. No, look, I, I couldn't have ever dreamed that that would happen. I think five of his six wins were, were in handicaps. His last run was, he was well beaten, okay, on very soft ground on, on enlisted company. But it's just a, a wonderful story for Adam West, for his owners. He was he was a four grand yearling, resold for 24 grand. You know, it kind of is one of those stories where you're like, persist and it might happen and then he makes all under Sean Corrine who in himself is is a wonderful story as well so the Nunthorpe is like one of these huge key marquee races can be a stallion making race it's a it's a race that all of them everyone would target if they had a suitable horse and to have a, a horse just blister and make all and beat one of the best sprinters of the last decade in Highfield Princess uh it was it was just a very heartwarming story and I suppose it gives us all a little bit of hope that we might one day get it. 
there isn't a trainer in better form in the country. I, I suggest there's probably not a better trainer, a trainer in better form in the world than Rafe Beckett. It's it's 19 winners in the last couple of weeks, but what he pulled off for one owner on Saturday afternoon was pretty amazing. The half a million pound city of York Stakes with Kin Ross, who's won that race twice and won just about everything else, uh, over seven furlongs. Uh, Lazoo, nice little um, sighter to something a little bit better, perhaps. Very good juvenile from last year, coming back in a stakes race at Newmarket, and all in the same sort of hour, hour and a half or so. Uh, down at Goodwood, the horse that kicked it off was uh, Angel Bleu, again, right back on point in the celebration mile. No mean achievement. Um, three points of the country, same owner, Mark Chan, whose uh, racing manager, Jamie McCalmont, joins me now. A bit of a logistical mastery from, from Mr. Beckett. I'm, I'm guessing he remains top of the, the Chan Christmas card list. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we met Mr. Andrew Rosen off there that also owns half of uh, 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 Lazoo. But uh, yeah, all three all three winners were were equally were equally pleasing you know it was um great to see angel blur back at goodwood and an amazing ride by hector crouch and um you know to see him winning again was um, was very pleasing uh ken ross at york probably that to me was probably as impressive a run as he's ever had and you know clearly the horse now can run on any kind of ground i mean we know by the times at York this week and the time of that race, I think they went 122 for seven furlongs. That was, you know, very, very fast ground. And, you know, he seems to love soft ground. So, uh, you know, that makes the plans for the rest of the year going to Santa Anita and finishing up in Hong Kong, which would be a dream for Mark, um, you know, all, all very feasible at this point. And those are probably the two, the two races that, that are, are most important to us now. Um, you know, uh, Champions Day. Sadly, this year is two weeks between the uh, is two weeks between Champions Day and and Breeders' Cup, which is a bit unfortunate. But then there's three weeks from the Arc to Champion uh, Champions Day. So, you know, we're not going to be able to do everything. But the the, the two international races right now are the are the key and 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 the foray really for him. So foray Breeders' Cup mile and that Hong Kong mile just to put the, the the cherry on the cake i heard rafe beckett actually saying we'll miss him when we don't have him anymore and and wondering how long how long he could go on but he's he's a gelding he's in the he's in the prime of his of his life it, there's no reason to think he couldn't keep wheeling back for another couple of years yet is there well i i think while the horse is sound and the horse is enjoying his racing there there is um there's no reason uh there's no reason to put a a time limit on when and when, where he where he finishes, you know, as soon as you know he's beginning to show wear and tear, then with a horse like this, we would probably call it a day very quickly, and um, you know, retire him. The uh, the English National Stud are keen to have him up there. I think kind of do what they do at the Irish National Stud, and he's a horse that loves affection from people. He loves he's 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 got such a sweet nature. Which I think why everyone is very very fond of him. He you know he 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 he's very he's very amenable. If he was a person, he'd be very he'd be very sociable. And then when he gets to the races, he's he changes when when he's very mm. difficult to saddle because he gets very uh, he then gets wound up because he's very competitive. I mean he loves he loves racing. I mean winning races for him is is very important. I mean you know getting to win at Goodwood, having had sort of two slightly disappointing runs but six furlongs on 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 
is is not really his gig unless it's very soft because you know it's just too quick for him so you know once he gets back on that winning trail again he, he his his confidence goes sky high and he's you know he's very full of himself so you know he's Rafe's done an amazing job training him he you know he's worked out that the horse needs you know as little as little work as possible and you know, get to the racecourse fresh, and he does his business that way. Yeah, it's it's amazing when I see Rafe Beckett saddling him while he's walking. I mean, that was quite a challenge at Keeneland last year. It's one of the most extraordinary bits of <laughs> bits of on the track horsemanship I've seen. The the whole Dottori story this season. I mean, you're pretty close to him. You know him very well. And the idea at the moment is we think he's kind of bowing out on Kin Ross in Hong Kong, but it's a bit of an open ended one. It's uh, it, it's been a remarkable journey. Where where do you see it ending? Well. I don't know. I think uh, I think w- 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 with uh, without the, without any kind of pressure this year. I mean, Frankie rode amazingly in America. I think he was second or third leading rider at Santa Anita in in the in the winter meet, and you know he went there, and a lot of people were questioning what what was he doing. You know, he wasn't. You know, there was a very wet winter in Santa Anita, so there weren't as many turf races as there should have been, and you know he. He he really has ridden ama- amazingly all year. I mean, you know, talking to him last week, he 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 thought his his ride on uh, on, on Gosden's horse was probably right up there with Fantastic Light and Golden Horn of the best rides you know he's ever given a horse. And you know, on Willie Mullins' horse on Saturday, I mean, he's you know he, he's incredible. I think. What the what what the sad what the really sad thing is is you know the the economics don't re, uh, you know don't really work out. I mean, it's I, I think if somebody you know stepped up now and you know offered him a decent retainer, then I'm sure as he's kind of slightly hinted in the press that that he might change his mind. But you know, if if if, if our stable was you know probably three times the size that it is. Then you know we'd certainly look at, at at paying him. I mean, if you you know if you if you put ten percent of your budget uh, down for your jockey, is that the most crazy thing? Because as far as I'm can see, in, in my experience, they lose you races and they win you races. But you know, it's like having a a, a goalkeeper in a, in a in a soccer team. You know, you kind of you know it's a big part of the ingredient, isn't it? I mean, you know, in my life. I mean, you know, having been friends with Frankie for 35 years, it's amazing in the last sort of 25 years how many uh, races, you know, he's won for me. I mean, you know, winning the Breeders' Cup for me on Wilco, which was really my first ever really big winner. But for him to do that on, on the dirt on a 38 to one shot, you know, that will always, for me, be uh, the most magical uh the most magical day that, that we ever had together because, you know, I was able to build my career off that, if you know, if you know what I mean. And, and that's that's really did, that's what did happen. And now that was Jamie McCalmont. And we ought to touch on Frankie Dottori's York final Saturday, Kin Ross, and then absurd in the Ebor. I mean, it was absurd, really. Stall 24, didn't want to get down to the start, given an absolute peach of a ride from from Dottori. I mean, people might point to the fact that he ought to have won the York Strokes on free wind and the Voltage on Gregory, but... When you got the magic of Mostadaf and and the the extraordinary Saturday that he enjoyed, well, he just writes his own script every time. Yeah, you, you have to hand it to him. It looked like an insurmountable 
unimaginable task on, on, on absurd. And he quite rightfully got all the accolades. So I would like to divert some of the accolade to the trainer. Uh, we are dominated by him all winter, all the major jump festivals. And we know when he goes to Ascot, anything that he brings is is noteworthy. And you know my thoughts on Vauban. And, you know, has there been a horse so confidently pumped up for the Melbourne Cup in, in my lifetime? Probably not. But this guy, having been a distant second to him, having gone to Galway over hurdles and jumped pretty average, pulled too hard in Paul Townend's hands. And he just came back in and he said, don't worry, we're, go- we're going to the Ebor with him. So you book Frankie, the man you've had on him at Ascot. He produces his magic, but you got to hand it to Willie Mullins. He, he's unbelievable. The, the this doesn't seem to be a peak that he cannot conquer. And in the in the year where, sorry, in the time of year when O'Brien, Gosden, Haggis, and all of the others are the names that we so often turn to in these big races. Oh, when you see Willie Mullins' horse turn up, you know it's not going to be making up numbers. All right, if you go back several hundred episodes, you'll remember we ran a, a four-part series at Watership Down Stud, and quite a bit of that series focused on the stallion potential of the then-just-retired Tudan Hot, few mares getting in foal, testing in foal, the foals being born, the great hopes. We all know that those hopes can be dashed, but Tudan Hot's made a bright start because he's had a couple of really important stakes winners in the last uh, 10 days, uh, Fallen Angel, and then uh, Darnation in the prestige stakes at Goodwood, at the weekend, she was very impressive indeed, really hitting the line hard. Simon Marsh has been marshalling the interests of uh, the Lloyd Webber's watership down stud for many, many years now. The man who purchased uh, the foundation mayor, Tudan Hot, Grand Dam. Uh, Simon, what kind of satisfaction does this sort of this sort of result, these sort of results, give you and the whole team? Well, it's it's, it's fantastic. Obviously, that um, he's beginning to now um, truly show what we've always believed. Um, he, you know, we didn't expect the horses, the, his progeny to be particularly early. And, um, I've always felt that they would be, um, they would be kind of seven furlong horses at the end of the day as two year olds and, um, performing well up to a mile. And I think next year he really, really could, um, really come to the fore and show what potential he's got. Um, so he's had these two pattern race performers in 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 the last week or so. Um, what are you hearing back from trainers about the attributes of these horses? Because it's very important that you're you're keyed in and you're getting feedback. What what are they saying to you? Well, there's a lot of people who are telling me they've got really nice Tudon hots, which are going to be later in the season. You know, they're kind of. September, October, two-year-olds, maybe one run, um, and then um, and then will be really for their three-year-old career. And I think that is no surprise when you look at the pedigree. And uh, Dar Amy herself, she only run once at two. Um, Lati Dar, Somi Dar, um, even Dorara, who actually only ran her first start in June of her three-year-old career, and, I, and then went on to win the Verme and was fifth in Dancing Braves Arc. So, you know, this is a family that isn't, you know, really, really precocious in, in a two-year-old sense, um, except for Dare Tudon Hot himself, who, um, you know, became champion two-year-old. But, you know, one has to remember he didn't, he started over a mile at Sandan in the beginning of August. So it wasn't like he was a really, really precocious two-year-old. He, 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 he was just a, a brilliant, brilliant two-year-old who trained on to be a very, very high-class three-year-old over a mile. 
And obviously what you're also trying to do as a breeder is to work out which of your mares are best to send to him and what the best match is going to be with this horse, who was a very high-class two-year-old, but as you say, is from a later developing family, um, is is a, a beautiful-looking horse, but you know, is is not is not a particularly tall horse relative to some stallions. So, what's what's the perfect match for a two-darn heart? I think I think you have to. Um, I think you you do need to breed a mare who is not a big mare, but a mare that's got a certain amount of size to her. Um, to him, and I think that he's a stallion rather in the mould of his his um, father Diwali, and that I think he will end up getting two year olds. I think he'll get, you know, fast horses over, you know, seven six seven furlongs, and he'll also get the classic horses. I think I think a lot of his progeny will stay up to a mile and a half. Um, so I think he could he could um, cover the whole spectrum um, because he's got that inherent speed from it he's got that speed as being a being a very very precocious brilliant two-year-old um but the pedigree is all classic and and to what extent are andrew madeline lloyd webber really leaning into this project in terms of trying to get as many two darn hearts of of their own as they can yeah i mean you know we've yeah we've 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 bred and supported him uh, a lot in fact um a very exciting foil we've got on the farm is a two-don hot out of the fugue um who was you know obviously as good a racehorse as we've ever bred i mean she was utterly brilliant in her day on her day and um and he's a really really lovely colt and extremely exciting to have him um and potentially i i i could see us putting we don't normally race colts but i could easily see us putting him into training because it's it's great fun to bred a champion that we bred to a champion that we bred all right thank you to simon to all my guests today jane mangan has a tip for you we're going late in the evening to Ballinrobe county mayo the 805 is a bumper featuring the first fallout of augusta kate by mount nelson she's called baby kate she's a warm order of course because her mother's a grade one winner and she was a very good uh, mayor for willie mullins but i like the second favorite in here lady masquerade made a pleasing start to her career and her first run over hurdles she's reverting back to bumpers here for gavin cromwell and joey dunn taking seven pounds off and i think she might just give the favorite something to think about all right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Back to do it again tomorrow. That was Monday, August the 28th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.